Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. All right, opening your Bibles, please, the book of Isaiah. Hope you're not getting tired of this yet. Um, Most of the time when something is extraordinarily important to the life of a church, um, you get to hear it until you're about ready to kind of regurgitate it, you know, just keep spitting it out. But, but most of us, it takes a little while for us to, to just get the, the sense of God's intent. Because what happens in willingness is it's somewhat different than obedience. In that obedience, either you are or you aren't. And it's that way in willingness as well. But willingness can inform your obedience. And so then your obedience can be in, in a position where it's gracious obedience rather than reluctant obedience. So that's kind of where we are. Isaiah chapter 1, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, to be taught by your Holy Spirit, to find, Father, your intent to go along with our willing obedience. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to make a couple of potentially controversial statements today. So please chew as we eat together. Um, because it's sometimes difficult when we think things are really black and white, when in reality, there's a lot of process to what we go through. And so it's my revealed opinion, I don't even know how to talk about it, um, that, that God does not, frustrating, does not frustrate the unwilling um, with, with answers that are empowered with, obe- with, with obedience only. If, if God has to tell you and you're always frustrated by it because you're not really willing to go down there, I, I'm not sure God gives you those kinds of answers. He, he really wants to give you the questions to test or to explore your willingness. And, and so what, what happens in most of our lives is that we go through circumstances and situations where as we're processing what we're supposed to do, God is also teaching us and helping us find that area of willingness. Because you don't need God unless he asks you to do something bigger than you. If you can do it, you should. Right? If you've got your own strength, just go ahead and do it. And you say, well, is that right, Pastor? Well... Figure out when you need God. I mean, I didn't need God necessarily to get up this morning. I don't mean I don't need him, but I mean, he didn't have to come and wake me up. But Brother Rick told me this morning he got a word for the Lord in the middle of the night. And he said, or he said yesterday or not. And then he said, three o'clock. You understand that you need willingness at 3 a.m. Because you're barely awake. And maybe this isn't how it happens. This is how it happens with me. I, I, I I regularly have something that, that I can write on. You know, the other night I got up, I have a similar situation, and I wrote on a piece of paper in the dark. And I, real, <laughs> and I realized that I already had something on the paper. And so I wrote crooked across there, and I'm writing, you know, down as dark as dark can be. Well, it was really hard to read the next morning. <laughs> right? But see... Yeah, what, what, what God oftentimes does in giving us things outside of what I call normal human capacity. We're supposed to be, generally speaking, sleeping at three in the morning. And so he will wake us up outside of our normal human, human capacity and give us something that takes a, a, another dream cycle or, or another functional cycle for you to get process in it. 
And so that's why I say that God will oftentimes put you in situations and ask you questions to promote your willingness. To promote your willingness. Many of us have had financial issues in our past and we've not been prepared to deal with God's blessing. So God oftentimes will ask us questions about blessing to encourage the process of dealing with the willingness that it takes to do what God says with more than you've ever had before. If you get more than what you've ever had before, the temptation may be to buy a luxury car or a bigger house. And I'm not saying, nothing wrong with those things. But dear Lord, ask God about it. Because what he's doing is showing you what doesn't yet exist for you to process what also does not yet exist in you, which is the willingness to do with things what he wants you to do. Right? I mean, I, I tell people all the time, if you can't handle the $50 that is a tithe, you likely can't handle the $500 that it came from. See, he's preparing our willingness. I remember early in ministry, this man coming up to me and, and saying to me, in, in, he says, I just feel compelled to, to ask you a question. I said, really? What's the question? He says, what would you and the church do with a million dollars? I'm thinking, well, who has an answer to that question? I mean, in, in this, we were in a church 5,000 square feet that was paid for. Um, we had some money in the bank and all that kind of stuff. And we were doing right. We had obedience. Our church was a tithing church. Our church gave offerings. We were doing everything we knew to do. And now he's just outside the box. And I said, well, I don't know what I'd do with that. So I came to this church, guy in this church within the first year or so. He said, I just feel compelled to ask you a question. I went, okay. He says, what would you in the church do with a million dollars? Now, you could say, well, why did that happen? Because God was preparing us as a church to do things that we had not yet experienced with wisdom we had not yet had. See, that's willingness. That's what God does. And a lot of times people, you know, get to an age where they don't want to process. They don't want to ask God the questions. They've done all this before. Amen. Notice in, in, in Isaiah chapter 1. It says in verse 18, come now, let us reason together. This is verse 18. I'm sorry, it's not a, he'll, he'll get to it. There you go. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Notice that what God wants us to do evidently is to process together. To process together. Here he's talking about sin. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He tells you what the process is and what the outcome is. He says, let us reason together. They shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And then he said, if you are willing and obedient. We've talked about this now for a good eight weeks. And, and remember, willingness or being willing is just being positively inclined to respond to authority. Remember, willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. It does not do you much good to be willing in those areas where there's no authority to deal with that. You test your willingness in some cases every time you drive on the highway with an attitude. I remember way back when I started driving, for whatever reason, Nebraska had a, a, a different speed limit than Colorado did. My grandparents lived in Nebraska. And we tried to figure out every which way to stay out of Nebraska 
so we wouldn't have to slow down five miles an hour. Right? Because willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. If, if you haven't gotten this yet, you, you need to really process this. Your willingness is not when you like everything. How many ever have experienced the, 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 had the experience of not getting your way? How many of you know each time that happens, it's not someone else's sin that's the fault for you not getting your way? Someone telling you no is not a sin on their part. Amen. Willingness is tested in the lab. Listen, I've been a pastor for 40 years, and I will tell you that people get all kinds of sideways with the church when they don't agree with their way. You, you understand, in the church, even if, if I and, and the elders are wrong, the governmental structure or polity of the church was established by God. And so sometimes you, you, you just think, well, I don't know why the church doesn't do this. Because your comfort is not at issue here. You say, well, it's not. Yes, it is. It's always more comfortable to have your way. I love it in my house. I love it with my children. I love it with my grandchildren. I love it with you. I love getting my way. And if you don't, there's something wrong with your head. Because most of us really like when things go our way. And most of us really don't like when things don't. Nobody gets up in the morning and goes, God, please just let me run into brick wall after brick wall all day long today. Let everybody I come up against tell me no. Nobody prays that way. And yet, willingness is tested in that laboratory. So if you don't see this, you won't understand how to ask the right questions when you get to that place. So last week we talked a little bit about how do we accept God's definitions of willingness. You say, well, isn't willing what I do? You can't do it by yourself. You have to do it with God. Christ-likeness is not something you do. It's something God does in you. Does that, does that make sense? You say, well, I just want to be Christ-like. Well, you're going to be Christ-like in everything that you can get your mind around. When you are willing in certain areas, you can be Christ-like in that area. But let God come to you with a level of sacrifice, sacrifice and let's see what you do. You say, well, I don't want to sacrifice exactly. See, that's the laboratory of willingness. You say, well, I don't even like that. I don't even like it. How many of you like it when prices go up? You drive by the, the gas station, and it used to be the other day, you know, Tracy and I drive a lot now, and, and it used to be like 268 or something, wherever we got gas the last time. And I drove by yesterday in, in Ray, and it was like $3.04. Let me ask you a question about your willingness. Whose money are you spending? See, the reason God deals with us in that avenue is because he wants us to understand that it's his money. You say, well, yeah, but I've got to be. I'm not saying go out and be stupid. Okay. I'm saying that your willingness is always tested. You cannot control the price of gasoline or eggs or bread 
or whatever else you might need. You know, many of us spend money on things that we don't need. Did you know that? If you have a cable bill, in some cases, I've dealt with people in financial difficulty who are spending from $125 to $200 a month on cable. You say, well, no, now wait a minute. Whose money are you spending? <laughs> and if God puts you in an inconvenient conflict, do you understand that inconvenience is almost always a sign that God is uncomfortable with your plan? Inconvenience is almost always a sign that God is uncomfortable with your plan. Because, see, we don't want to be inconvenienced. And yet, we do it all the time. Okay, so how do we accept God's definition? Turn with me again to the book of Philippians. That's where we were last week. Philippians, please. Chapter 2. Are we still good? Anybody preparing to hate me? I told you I was going to say some, some potentially confrontational and, and difficult to process things. I've already said two of them. You know, inconvenience is almost always a sign that God's not really cool with your plan. People say, well, that's not, it should be easy to serve God. It is until he asks you to do something that you don't want to do. It is easy to coast in Christianity. When you coast in Christianity, sorry, I just am not done yet. When you coast in Christianity, your frustration, which you're willing to deal with towards other people, is exactly the thing that God is working on. Christians who are frustrated are actually angry and offended in most cases, and they call it frustration because they don't think that's a sin. A good portion of conservative America is offended with the government. Because we believe they control things. Sorry. Swing and a miss. Go read Romans chapter 13 or 14. He puts authorities in place. You say, I don't want to hear that, Pastor, because I want my guy in there. Well, so do I. But being frustrated to the point of anger and offense where you leave your Christianity, your Christ-likeness, to prove your point is not Christ-likeness. Amen. Verse number five, Philippians chapter two. He says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. There is an implied subject there. You allow this to happen. When Jesus was going through the gutty trial thing, and he was up there in tears of blood and, you know, sweat beads of blood and all that kind of stuff. And he's saying, oh, God, let this cup pass for me. He wasn't necessarily just doing that for his benefit because that became an example for us. His willingness to be obedient to the cross had to be produced by something. Hebrews tells us for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had to see something different than the perception of end result of being crucified in a very barbaric and difficult way. I mean, I don't know about you, but no thank you very much for pulling my beard out. I think that hurts. 
right? No thank you very much for being whipped on my back until it's unrecognizable or being beat in my face until nobody can recognize. No thanks. But see, Jesus went through all of these things, but he went through it before he went through it. Right? He's in the garden going, oh God, why? Because he knows what's going to happen to him. He knows the purpose. And so he had to look beyond what was happening to him to find something to focus on that allowed his willingness to produce obedience. See, it's probably easy for Jesus to be Jesus in our minds. Well, after all, he's the son of God, you know. He's the manifestation of God himself on the earth, the incarnation of God's word. He was fully human as well. And when they drove those big old nails through his hands and feet, I'm, I'm guessing his desire was to yell, ouch. When they poked him in the side with a spear, one of my children <laughs> gave me a pocket knife for Christmas. I don't know why my kids give me instruments of danger. <laughs> and so we were up at Chris and Amber's helping them, and they have a, an alarm system on their house. And they have these little teeny square things that are about two inches long and about a half inch wide. And inside of each one of them is a battery. And when the window is closed, that battery tells the other piece to send a signal to the control panel that says the window is shut. Okay? <laughs> no sneaking out of their house. But the battery went. So I thought, praise God, I got a knife. And so I, I, I pulled out this knife. And by the way, knives come from the factory sharp. And so I'm up there using my knife trying to dig this thing open. And all of a sudden it slipped. What, you know what happens when a knife slips? Something gets cut. So I got a little, I got a little you can't even see it, a little minor paper cut thing here, just barely grazed the skin. You know that that's not the problem? The problem is not this, this little cut didn't hurt until, until you touch something with it that you like you were cooking or, you know, squeezing the lemon in your iced tea or whatever. And you go, oh, baby, <laughs> that little thing, that thing will get your attention, won't it? Now, you see, what happens is God will oftentimes test you through circumstances of really small significance. So if you're struggling with what comes out of you when you cut your finger, and I, I wasn't, and I'm not, you know, but I used to. I used to. God will test you with these insignificant things. Does it really make any difference whether you cut your finger? I mean, I can cut it off. I didn't need stitches. I didn't even need a Band-Aid. But I needed not to put lemon juice in it. Ooh. Right? He'll test you through these. You have to allow. You need to make a decision like Jesus did before you go through things. How you're going to act and react. It won't do you any good after the fact going, gee, I wonder what I should have done there. I can tell you what you're going to get to do. You get to go around the mountain again. Because God wants us to predetermine through willingness how we're going to respond. Many of us grew up in a confession message that says you had to say everything just right, you know, and, and we, we were probably all friends with the confession police. You know, people told you you shouldn't talk that way. Here's your ticket. Shouldn't talk that way. I agree you probably shouldn't, but you understand me monitoring your speech doesn't help you. It only helps me be superior. 
I don't want to be superior. You know that Jesus proved in being superior that he wasn't superior by laying down his life for people that didn't even deserve it. But see, that's his mind. Let this mind be in you. How do we accept God's definition of willingness? By allowing our mind to be controlled and motivated by who Jesus is. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery. This is so difficult to teach because immediately upon, a say, upon saying it, many of you are going to push back. Just in your souls, just in your invisible part, you just go, whoa, no way. We should not consider it robbery to have the mind of Christ. We should not live our life short of what God said we could have by saying there's just no way for us to process how God processes. You're made in his image. In fact, your personal image cannot grow outside of your understanding of the image of God. Your personal image cannot grow outside of your understanding of the image of God. If you say, well, but, but God, you know, he, he, he never sins. And exactly what he designed for your life. Well, I can't do that. No, you won't do that. I overate this week and Jesus didn't pick up one bite of the sandwich, didn't poke one extra french fry, didn't cause me to refill my drink three times. He didn't do any of that. I did it. I did it willingly without any thought to what it meant. You understand that when we get to this place where we're maturing in Christ, we have to pay attention to what we understand about the image of God because it's the image we're made in. A lot of people think they have a right to be frustrated and angry with sinners. It's really difficult. It's difficult to see people like God sees them. Because after all, some of them are just bad. Some of them just do really bad things. Some of them never think about other people. You can have the mind of Christ. I'm going to show you that scripture in just a second. In fact, Paul says we have it. So here's a scary thought. Get ready to, to, to challenge whether or not you want to be offended with me today. If we can have the mind of Christ, why don't we operate in it? Because we resist. It's living expression inside of us. Why don't we have patience? You know, the fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit, singular Spirit, includes patience. Why don't we have it? Because we resist it. <laughs> Keep reading, middle of verse 6. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Most of us are so interested in our reputation and how other people see us that we can't see how God sees us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that a person ought not to think of themselves more highly than they ought. That's a great scripture. 
But most of you people, most of all of us, don't see it exactly the way God intended, in my opinion. You should at least think of yourself as highly as God thinks of you. If you'll think as highly as God thinks of you, you'll operate in a level of authority that is beyond anything you've ever experienced. You say, well, but you know, God doesn't want me to pretend like I'm him. He made you in his image. You will never be God. But when you look in the mirror, you should see him looking back. When you look into the mirror of your activities, it should look like him. Well, amen. He says he took on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. You know, when Paul and Apollos, or when Corinth was fighting over Paul and Apollos, and they said, you know, Paul teaches and Apollos does this and whatever else. And he says, but we, he, in that passage, he says, we act as if we are mere men. Mere men. So I think what Paul was trying to show us was that when we take on the likeness of man, doesn't mean we have to operate in everything that is like men. We're supposed to act and react and think like God himself. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here's some new stuff for you. It'll, it'll help you. See, what the church has done over, over the, the, the centuries is they've magnified the obedience side of things. And so in doing that, they also had to magnify sin. So basically, you come to the church to get a list of your sins preached to you and a value equation given to you that's based on your sin. If you don't act right, you need what we're offering. That is so counterintuitive to the mind of Christ. Generally, even people in church do not need their sin pointed out to them. If you've ever done that spur of the moment where you've reacted poorly, don't raise your hands, but, but have any of you ever not had the opportunity or not taken the opportunity to think through your response? You acted impulsively and afterwards you went back and, and you know, after you were done with that and you stomped out of the room or whatever you did, you go back and you say, oops, that probably wasn't what Jesus would have done. See, we're humans, but we're not supposed to act that way. Does that make sense? First Corinthians, verse number, uh, chapter number two, verse number 12 and following. I'm going I'm to pick and choose here a little bit. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is Paul teaching along these areas. And he says, now we have not received the spirit of the world. If you would understand with me for just a moment that much of what we experience in life is influenced and or governed by the spirit world. Okay? And so when Paul said the spirit of the world, this is why I always love people who, who think we ought to cast devils out of everything that moves and doesn't move. Um, because they want to make up how the spirit world works. There are dozens, literally dozens of references to spirits of things in the Bible. And so to be able to say, well, this is this, you know. By the way, did you know there's no spirit of religion in the Bible? But I've been in church services where people are casting the spirit of religion out of people right and left. Well, congratulations. But when you make stuff up, you get to make up the results as well. 
But when you follow biblical examples, the biblical example has a result with it. Notice it says we've not been given the spirit of the world, but rather the spirit that is from God. Are you ready for the result? That we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. The spirit that is from God teaches us about the free stuff. The spirit of the world then, as the exact opposite, the anti-type of that, these two things work in direct opposition to each other. So can you imagine what the result of the spirit of the world is? Everything in God costs. The spirit of the world will teach you. See, this is not going to feel good. The spirit of the world will teach you how much stuff costs. Remember when I seeded the ground with the cost of gas? or the cost of eggs, or the cost of bread. The spirit of the world will teach you how much things cost and how unreasonable that is. That's not God. You say, well, I can't help it. I've been buying bread. Listen, I remember when my dad, 1963, I was um, uh, 57, six years old. My mom used to take my brother and I down to where the, the police station in Ray and the, there's a couple of apartments right there. Do you all remember that? Before there, that was there, there was a grocery store there, Quonset Hut grocery store. My mom used to take us before school to put bread on the shelves for my dad. My dad picked up his bread at three o'clock in the morning. Who in their right mind gets a job like that? He drove to Hagler, Nebraska to pick up his bread and went from Hagler to Fort Morgan and was home by one o'clock in the afternoon. My dad drove every one of our activity buses when I was in high school. Even though my dad had a crazy job, he never missed one single event that we did because he always drove the activity bus. Which, by the way, is both a positive and a negative. Because <laughs> you all been on activity buses. When your dad looks in that big old rearview mirror that shows all the deals there and gives you the dad look, yep, it's way easier to be better. Anyway, we'd go down there. So at six years old, I remember stocking the shelves with loaves of bread that were selling for 10 for a dollar. Wow. 10 cents for a loaf of bread. I remember that. I remember 25.9 cent gallons of gas. You say, man, you're old. You're missing the point. (laughs) The point is not age. The point is the spirit of the world will train you throughout your life to pay attention to what things cost. And the spirit of God will tell you all those things that are freely given to you by God. Including the fact that he gets to, if you'll let him, he gets to control your money. I'm telling you, when, before Tracy and I figured out how to at least have God have an opinion about our money, we never had enough. But when we started letting God have an opinion about it and talking to us, it's gone better for us. Now we've been doing it for a great number of years, 50, almost 50, well, 40, I don't know, long time. And now our first question is, God, what do you want to do with your money? Not, dear Lord, what things cost. Are you tracking with me? If you want to accept God's definition of willingness, then you have to process things through the Spirit of God, 
who freely gives you all things. So if you miss this, you go and you say, well, I just can't afford to do this. You never could afford to do it. You can't afford not to have God in charge of the money. You say, well, yeah, but I just want to do what I want to do. Exactly. You want your way. Remember, willingness is tested in the laboratory of authority. When God says to you, you ought to be different. Notice it says then, down in diverse, uh, well, let's just keep reading 13. It's also good. These things we also speak. Notice that, that when you understand that you're speaking from the spirit of God, it's supposed to change how you talk. It's supposed to change how you talk. When you come to church, most of you talk differently. But get together with two or three of your friends and it might sound different. Get together with two or three really good friends and you might talk about the cost of gasoline, bread or eggs. And literally between you, the spirit of the world is having a picnic at your expense. Because he's just magnifying what things cost. You say, well, pastor, I just have to be wise, don't I? Do you think it's a greater wisdom to trust God or for you to trust yourself? Just have to be wise. Are you going to trust your experiences over what God has to say? I've dealt with many of you over, uh, over many years. And some of you have done the craziest stuff. Because God told you to. You've put your, your, (laughs) Renee's sitting back there. She smiled. Who was thinking you should go to Costa Rica for heaven's sakes and have a baby in a hotel? And then stay down there and service people and serve people because God put something in your heart. That's the craziest thing. I mean, you've got personal experiences in here. Just look around. Some of you people are just raving idiots. You actually believe what God says to you. That's what the world would tell you. It's going to cost you too much. And sometimes we're in the middle of situations where we're looking at what it costs and going, yep, we're right at the edge. It's costing me a lot. If your focus is you, you're also trying to build your own picture. If your focus is him, you're going to try and build his picture. Whole different deal. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Again, then, not only does it change how you talk, it changes how you learn. (laughs) Please don't come to church and look at me and say, teach us, Pastor. I'm trying. But you know, sometimes God's word is just so simple that we complicate it so much and make it so much more difficult. It takes somebody with a seminary degree to complicate God's word. Notice it says Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Man, this is is a discernment skill that'll just turn your life around to compare spiritual things with spiritual. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. People say it's lonely at the top. Did you go there by yourself? Because if you did, leave that mountaintop. 
That's not where God is. You understand that if you feel lonely, if you feel kind of forsaken, if you feel like you don't have the joy of the Lord, you should ask yourself the question, who moved? If the joy of the Lord is not your strength, who moved? Who's in the wrong spot? You say, well, but pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. I don't need to understand what you're going through. I only need to understand whether or not God's joy is your strength. The spirit of the world will teach you to talk in weakness. You know that you can do very little in your life working on your perceived weaknesses. Pick your greatest weakness right now. Okay, just just pick it out in your mind. And then assign a, a value number between zero being terrible and 10 being good. Okay. And, and, and so let's say that, that you're just not very good like, like me being a particular way or something like that. And you're like a three. If I work really, really hard on that, if I work really hard on that, I might be able to move the number at one. Or if I'm really, really good, maybe two points. I can go from three to a five, which only makes me average, right? And guess what? It makes me feel really good about myself because I'm just like everybody else, which is the goal of most humans. Be at least as good as everybody else. Stay in the middle of the pack. Don't stick out. Now pick your strength. Let's say you're a seven in that, in that thing, whatever it is, okay? Pick your strength. If you got your strength from God and God continues to work on your strength, he will move you to the image of him. You go from a seven to a ten. And it won't cost you anything or take any of your effort. Which one you want to do? And I'm not saying you should just blindly ignore. I'm just saying, just as a business plan or however you need to see that, why don't you go ahead and submit yourself to God in your strength? So you may not actually realize this about me, but I have a significant strength in the love of God. You say, no way. You don't even act like you like us. The love of God, through the example of who God is, helps people act like him, and it's painful. And the only way to do that in other people's life, to help people, is for you to recognize that you are, have a strength in a particular area. The love of God. People used to come and complain at Tracy all the time. I don't even think Pastor Glenn likes me. I love you enough to risk our relationship humanly. For your relationship spiritually. If you end up hating me, first of all, that's on you because I'm like way cool. But, <laughs> but if you end up hating me, that's not my fault. It's not my fault. I love you enough to tell you the truth even when it's hard. And I'm telling you, this comes from what I believe we're all going to go through in 2024. You better ramp up your willingness with God because unwillingness is going to stick out like a sore thumb. You say, well, how do you know that? I'm not sure I'm right. I really, I really am not sure if I'm right. But it's all God speaking to me right now. 
Do you understand that when, when God speaks to me, he's rarely talking to me. He's talking for you. Let's keep reading. But the natural 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man will almost always have an excuse for why things don't go the way it ought to go. The number of people that I've had come up to me who think God is being mean to them because life hasn't gone very well. And they'll tell you how much they love God and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, I never see them in church, but it doesn't really make any difference because church doesn't really measure anything. But if you love somebody, you'd spend some time with them in a group of people who also say they love them and might go better for you. They think God is actually doing the evil stuff. James tells us that God tempts no one with evil. If you make an evil decision, welcome to kindergarten. Right? You're still eating glue. Come on, that was better than that. You're eating Play-Doh. You're chewing on colors. You think, well, what do you mean by that? You're immature. Somebody needs to teach you it's not healthy to eat the Play-Doh. It's not healthy to eat the glue. It's not healthy to chew on a tongue depressor until it turns into little splinters of wood that you put inside your gut and then wonder why you feel sick. That's immaturity. Say, well, I don't do that, Pastor. Okay, do I, I, I picked that one on purpose, but I can move up the ladder a little bit. The natural man does not resist. When you argue over what the Bible says because you don't like it, that's a natural man. It took me eight weeks to get to this place where I could lay out really tough things about how to accept the definitions of God's willingness. We've been talking about this for eight weeks. And you say, why don't you just get to the point, Pastor? Because I was trying not to kill you. Choke you with what you had to chew on. Notice it says in the 14th verse, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Notice that when you are natural, you will think some of the most difficult things about God are foolish. He's trying to take all your fun away. He's trying to control your life. He's trying to make it terrible for you. He's not. Not at all. But the natural man does that. It says they're foolish him, nor can he know them, which literally means to know by experiential intimacy. Experiential intimacy. There are certain things that I know about God because he and I have done these things together over a course of time. Experiential intimacy. It says they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Do you see it? <laughs> he who is spiritual judges all things. You better pay attention because you're going to have the opportunity spiritually to judge where to put your attention See, we think, well, should we do this or should we not do this? Most of that's been settled already in most of our lives. But I believe God's going to give us the opportunity to pay attention to where we put our attention. You say, well, I don't know about that one, Pastor. I need my, I need my downtime, you know, where I can just go ahead and get what I need and, you know, do all of this and, and whatever, you know. Uh, 
okay. I mean, I don't know if I'm right. But I'm pretty convinced that over the next calendar year, that God's going to challenge us with what we put our attention on. Here's the last verse, verse 16. It says, for who has known the mind of Christ? Now, this is a different kind of known. This means to, to know intellectually for the purpose of instruction. To know intellectually for the purpose of instruction. So he says, who has known the mind of Christ that he may instruct him? Now, I know nobody wants to hear what I'm about to say, and I got 30 seconds to say it. But sometimes our prayer list instructs God on what he needs to be doing. Who has known the mind of God that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Which means we know that God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, needs no instruction from us. So when he asks us a question, it's not because he's looking for information to make a decision with. He's wanting you to see what it looks like. Where do you put your attention? Does that make sense? So next week, we're going to talk about how we set our willingness. How do we put boundaries and firm foundations around the willingness that God wants to teach us? Once we accept the definitions of those things by the mind of Christ and, and by, by allowing that mind in Christ to be in us, then we set those things. You say, well, what does that mean? We're going to talk about it next week. Again, I don't think God frustrates unwilling people with things that only require obedience. He really wants to work on our willingness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for this time. Thank you for teaching us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.